You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, let's open up our Bibles this morning. You can go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Going to continue this morning. I uh, want to go first to our, our foundation verse that we've been working from. We're, we're talking about the fact that uh, we want to learn how to make our lives. We want to make it difficult for the devil to come in and steal, kill, and destroy in our lives. There are things we can do that just just simply make us really easy targets, really easy prey for the devil. Let's let's go ahead and just read this this verse uh, this morning. First Peter chapter five. This is actually verses eight and nine from the Amplified Bible. It says, "Be sober, well balanced, and self disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times." That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Be firm in your faith against his attacks, rooted, established, immovable, knowing that the same experiences of suffering, and that's talking about the attacks of the enemy and persecution, those two areas, uh, the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. So the idea is, if you're a believer and you're living for God at all, you will come under attack from the devil. We've we've laid out a lot of foundation that I don't have time to go back over this morning. We've I think this is our third or fourth round with uh, this topic, but you can you can get it on YouTube or on our podcasts or pick up CDs out here, whatever you want. But I would really encourage you to go back and pick up the foundation that we've laid because we've said that, yes, God has a wonderful, wonderful plan for your life. And the scripture tells us that the devil comes, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly. So we know that even though God has a great plan for our life, we have an enemy that wants to steal that from us. And the point of this whole teaching is there are characteristics, there are attitudes and behaviors that we can build into our lives that shield us and keep us safe. And there are other things, there are other attitudes and other behaviors that we can build into our lives that make it just easy. And we've, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years and working with people and, and, and we just see sometimes it's like, man, you're just opening the door. You're making it so easy. You're giving, uh, Ephesians chapter four talks to us about don't give him a foothold with sin. Because sin gives him the ability to climb on your life where there was no ability before. And so, I, I don't know, I was just thinking this morning, maybe one of these weeks we'll just talk about sin. I mean, we, we mention it a lot. We're not afraid to talk about it. We know that it's, it is a big deal. Still, yes, all of our sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. But if we choose to live in sin, we open the door to the devil. And he will absolutely rob you blind. You know, so... So we want to keep those doors closed. We want to develop certain characteristics in our life that uh, make it really difficult for you. Let's, let's, let's not just make it easy. 
okay, for him to come in and steal in our lives. So what I want to do here is I want to back up. This is our foundation verse. It tells us that we do have an enemy that he's seeking somebody to devour. So obviously he can't just come in and devour. He has to find somebody whose, whose life is open in some way. But Peter starts out this chapter. I want to go back to verse 1 of this chapter. And Peter starts out this chapter, uh, and, and, you know, again, we always want to think about the fact that 1 Peter 5, 8, the verse, verses we just read, they don't exist in a vacuum. He leads into those. He sets the stage for those. And he gives us a whole series of, of ideas and principles in the first seven verses of this chapter that lead right into verse 8. And so I want to go back and, and look at what he says and begin uh, in verse 1. And so here's what I want you to think about as we do this. We'll read verses 1 through 7 or so. What he's going to do is he's going to start this chapter giving instruction to local church leaders. All right, he's going to be giving instruction to local church leaders that's intended to equip them for the battles that they will face and that their people will face. So he starts out that way. But when we get down to verse 5, he's going to expand that. So, and he's going to, and at that place, he's going to extend the very same instructions that he gives to church leaders. He's going to first extend it to ones that he calls young ones. And we'll talk about that again. We touched on that a few weeks ago. And then he's going to say, and all of you in the same way. So as we're reading the instructions in the first few verses that are given to church leaders, understand that in a couple more verses, the Holy Spirit's going to turn around and say, okay, this applies to all of us. All right, does that make sense to you? Okay, so he gives these, he gives these very basic instructions about life, and he eventually uh, gives them to all of us. And these are given so that our lives will be just impervious to the attacks of the devil. devil and uh, will produce victory and an overcoming life in our lives. So let's start in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, Notice that word serving, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, all right, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And then he goes on. Let's just work with those first four verses to begin with. So, so I'm going to switch over here as I'm reading this to you, and we're picking it apart. I'm going to work from the Amplified Bible. So he starts out in verse 1, and, and Peter comes along and makes a really strong statement. It isn't picked up real well in the NIV, but the Amplified gets it. He says, I warn and counsel the elders among you, pastors and spiritual guides of the church. I warn and counsel. This, this term that the Amplified renders as warn and counsel, it means I'm begging you. I'm here, I'm begging you. I'm 
asking you, I'm imploring you, and as I'm begging you to do these things, it is coming across in the sense of there's great danger if you don't do them. And that's why it's a warning. It's a warning to us. If you don't build these things into your lives, he's going to come down to verse 8 and say, you have an enemy prowling around that wants to destroy your life, right? And so he's coming along and he's saying, I'm warning you, I'm begging you, I'm exhorting you, I'm pleading with you because this will bring safety to both you and the people that hear you, you and the people that you serve. And so he says, I warn and counsel the elders among you, the pastors and spiritual guides of the church as a fellow elder. And this is kind of interesting. We're going to talk about this uh, a little bit more here in a minute. The two items that I want to talk to you about this morning, by the way, are humility and honor. Humility and honor. And they go together. And they go together throughout the scripture. And we're going to kind of define those terms. Mainly we're going to focus on humility this morning because Peter talks a lot about, a lot about it here. It is one of those qualities that will put us in a safe place. It will put us in a place to learn and to grow. And, and Peter demonstrates, without even talking about it yet, Peter is one of the first 12 apostles, right? And he's talking to local church leaders. He's writing to local church leaders. And so on a hierarchy of things, Peter has a higher place in office. He was an eyewitness to the suffering of Christ. He was one of the, I mean, he was one of the three people that were the closest to Jesus when he was on the earth. This guy has some credentials, but he doesn't say, and there would be nothing wrong with him saying that as an apostle, Paul did that a lot. He said, I stand in the office of an apostle and by that authority and by that grace, I say to you, Paul did that a lot. And it would, it would be fine for Peter to do that, but he doesn't, not in this case. He says, as a fellow elder, he puts himself, he lowers himself, essentially, to the same level as these other leaders. And then again, as he goes on, he expands this to all of us. And he basically is saying, look, we are all in the same boat. We are all in the same battle. We all have the same commission. We are all born of the same spirit. We are all in this together and we are all going to fight the very same battles. It doesn't matter what your position is, you are going to fight these battles and these qualities need to be in your life if you're going to stay safe. He needs to build them in. People need to build them in. Everybody in between and any kind of authority structure need to build them in. We need to have these things in our life. So he says, as a fellow elder and as an eyewitness called to testify of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a sharer in the glory, the honor and splendor that is to be revealed or is to unfold or be disclosed. What he's saying there is we are all sharers. That word share is the same. It comes from the same root where we get the word for fellowship, for communion. It's that word koinonia. It's, it's a little different version of the word, but it means we're partners together. We're partakers together. We're again, he's saying we are in this together. I'm not sitting up here and I've got it all together and I don't need to bother with this, but I'm warning you. He's not saying that. He said, I'm right in there. I'm in the same battle. I'm in the same boat. And so I'm telling you this from my life and my experience and what I'm having to do in my life. And, and so he points out that he's an eyewitness of 
what went on with Jesus of, of, uh, and called to testify of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker, a partner, together with every, all the other believers, together in the glory that's being revealed, that's being unfolded. And, and that's about the idea that we are walking together in life and our commission is to release the kingdom of God, the, the glory of God. That's nothing, you know, religion will tell you, oh, the glory of God is out here and, and you are a miserable little worm and you don't get to partake in it. No, in the, in the, what the scripture tells us is that God's glory, which just means his innermost characteristics, come upon us and come out through us as we have fellowship and, and intimacy with him, we are transformed in his life and his power is supposed to be flowing out through us into our lives and out of our lives and into our communities and all of that. So Peter, there's a lot, there's more, but I'm going to just leave it at that. These first four verses, he says a tremendous amount here. And so he demonstrates humility and a servant heart to us just by the way that he phrases this, okay? So I want to make the point here. Again, Peter, being an apostle, says, I'm right in the same boat with you. I'm writing to you as a fellow uh, elder, as a fellow shepherd. I'm writing to you on that level. And there's a, there's a truth there that we miss a lot of times. And that is that whatever gift we are all gifted by the Lord. If you are following after God, he's going to stir up. He's going to impart gifts to you. He's going to stir them up. And he want, those are avenues for his grace and his power to flow out to your world. Okay? So we all have gifts. We all have abilities. We all have, uh, or many of us have, we're called to offices. We have titles. Peter had a title. It was right for him to be called an apostle. But Peter here doesn't identify himself under that title. Instead, he identifies himself as a child of God. He identifies himself as one blood-bought, filled with the Holy Spirit, living to undo the kingdom of darkness and release the kingdom of God. And so it's really important for us, this is just one of those things that can trip us up so much, that no matter who you are, no matter what your role might be, no matter what your title might be, we are all of equal value as children of God before God. And our identity, I'm hoping I can say this to you well enough today, our identity should never get caught up in whatever title, gift, or role that you might have. Not our identity. We need to fulfill and steward well whatever title, gift, or role God might give us. And here's where this gets a little bit, you got to think this through with me. We believe in honoring the anointing that's on people's lives. We believe in honoring what God has placed and called that person to. We believe that we begin to receive from the gift that's in somebody as we choose from our hearts to give honor to that gift. But that person that has that gift needs to never allow their identity 
to get caught up in that gift. Because as soon as they do, as soon as I start to identify myself more strongly as a pastor, which is my calling, than I do as a Christian, which is who I am, then immediately I'll move into a sort of a, a performance mentality instead of a fruit-bearing mentality. I will immediately start to think about what it means to be a pastor and try to perform that instead of realizing I am, I am. Who I, what I do is this, who I am is a child of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and everything that goes into that role or that title or that office or that gifting needs to flow out of the intimacy that I have with God because I am a child of God. Does this make sense to you? All of the life. If there's going to be any life in what I do, it can't be because of what I do. It has to be because of who I am and being plugged into Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus described the whole thing as bearing fruit that our lives are supposed to bear fruit. And Peter demonstrates this for us right here. He says, look, I'm speaking to you. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. He says that earlier. He says it in other places. But he says, I'm speaking to you as one that I, we're all in this together. Okay? So this is kind of an interesting thing that we need to think about in our own lives is, okay, so how do I, I, I want to give honor I want to set myself in a position to receive from the gifts that are in people. And every one of those people that has those gifts, whether it's a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, an apostle, a prophet, a, a server, uh, a, an administrator, anything that a person has that they are, that God has put in them and that they are, through that gift, they are flowing the body of Christ. Whatever it is, I want to position myself to say that is God in that person. And I am here to receive what God will pour through that gift. I'm going to honor it. I'm going to, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to honor that gift. But every one of those people is imperfect. Every one of those people, every one of those people is going to be imperfect. And so, barring, you know, huge violations that kind of take somebody out of flowing in that kind of gift for a time, uh, barring those kinds of things, I am I'm determined not to let their imperfections and weaknesses keep me from receiving from whatever gift is in them. That's honoring that gift. And it positions me to receive from God through that person and, and my my role in that or my place in that doesn't get clouded when they make a mistake. And again, I'm not talking about overt sin or, you know, stealing all the money or, you know, uh, teaching things that aren't biblical. I'm not talking about that, but barring all that stuff, this keeps me in a position to receive. So I need to be able to honor that gift and yet realize, you know what? We are all believers and that's where our identity is. And that's where our identity has to be. And so Peter comes along here and he, and he starts from that kind of a position. All right. Um, so he comes along and he demonstrates this humility to us, which again, we're going to get into a little bit more here today. And then I'm sure we're not going to get anywhere near through this. So we'll be coming back to it. So let me give you a second thing that Peter says just in these first four uh, verses, he tells us to, the Amplified Bible says, tend the flock of God. 
tend the flock of God. Some of your translations say shepherd. Uh, the, the term here uh, means, the Amplified says, nurture, guard, guide, and fold. Okay, And he says, do this not by coercion or constraint, but willingly, not dishonorably, motivated by the advantage and profits belonging to the office, but eagerly and cheerfully. So here's what that means. That, that term there in the Greek, it means to tend or feed God's people. It's, it's a verb. Okay, So it means, if you want to use the word shepherd, it means do the work, care for people in the way that a shepherd would care for the flock, okay? And we all get this. And again, this is why I'm telling you, this. he, he breaks this down, and then he makes this applicable to all of us. So the ideas within that word in the Greek language are a shepherd leads. Okay, what, is this, what does this mean? Let me explain this to you, just in case somebody's missing it. In your life, what does this mean? God will put people in your life. And you have the responsibility to influence those people and to help shepherd their lives in whatever way the Lord would have you do. And, and to, to help direct their lives toward God, toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and then toward growth in him. We all have that responsibility. Some of us are called to an office that's about that, but we all have the same commission. We are to go out into all the world and make disciples of people. So here's what that means. And this is important. First of all, it means to lead. Okay, so we're used to shepherds that drive flocks. You know, they get behind them and drive them. But uh, these guys, and if you read about, if you do a study on Psalm 23 or, or whatever, uh, in the Middle East, at least at that time, I mean, I don't even get how this would work. I don't know why the sheep would follow you, but apparently they do. Uh, they led their flocks, you know, and there's a difference there. When you're trying to influence somebody's life, we are not to do it by coercion. We are not to do it by manipulation. We are not to do it by trying to force people to do the right thing. That's not our role. We are to lead. That means for us, that means we need to be an example. We need to be living the life ourselves. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect unless you're expecting them to be perfect. If you're expecting the people that you're ministering to to be perfect, then yeah, I guess you'd better be perfect too in order to lead them. But since nobody's going to get that, you know, people get hung up on this. They think, oh, well, until I get all this straightened out in my life, I can't influence anybody. No, the day you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you can tell somebody else that Jesus Christ is Lord. You only have to be one step ahead of somebody to, to lead them. So it means to lead. It means to feed. What's the influence that's coming out of your life to your friends and to your family and to your neighbors? You're not responsible for making them change. You're not responsible for causing all of that to happen but you do have a responsibility to feed. That means, okay, what in my example and in my lifestyle and in my words and, and our conversations and all that, are there things being put out there that can feed somebody on the Lord? Can we? Because God's always setting a table in front of people. He's always inviting them to come and eat. Come and eat. And, and so is, is, are we putting out poison or are we putting out good food? So lead, feed, protect. Okay, and I think in our, all of our realm, that has a lot to do with intercessory prayer, has a lot to do for praying for people. It, it 
It means we care about their lives and, and we want them to be safe. We want to help them. It means to guard and it means to guide. It means to live for the good and the benefit of other people. If you're going to decide to shepherd people, you will not be able to live entirely for yourself. You just won't. You just won't. So you're going to start to move in the God kind of love, which can be defined by the sentence, living for another person's good. Okay? So it's just a decision that we make in our lives. And when we're living in love and we're living and serving people, on the one hand, the devil will come and try and mess that up. It Honestly, the more you do in that, to some degree, the greater his attack toward you would be. But at the same time, remember what we've said in the past. He's not on God's level. He's not anywhere near on God's level. You have authority over him. Just recognize that as you begin to live and move and minister, then yeah, he, he's going to try and steal that so that you're not influencing other people. Well, don't let him do it. You don't have to let him do it. But self-centered living always opens our lives to demonic attack. It always, if we just live for ourselves, it just opens our lives to demonic attack. So let me read these verses to you. Uh, this is, you can just stay where you are, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Okay, again, we're talking about humility. We're talking about honor. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, in the true spirit of humility, let each regard others as better than and superior to himself. Think more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interest, but also for the interests of others. It's just a lifestyle. It's the same lifestyle that Jesus lived. Okay, So this, this living in this way causes our life to grow in the Lord and it causes us to begin to influence other people. Uh, the third thing that Peter talks about here, and we already read it. Uh, let me go back to the verse. It, it's He said... Uh, tend the flock of God, all right, not by coercion or constraint, not by coercion or constraint. The, the idea there is that we are not to be domineering. We are not to be arrogant. We are not to be dictatorial or overbearing people. That's what that verse is telling us. As we seek to influence people to move toward God, as we seek to take care of other people's lives, we are not to be domineering, arrogant, dictatorial, or overbearing over those who are in our charge. But again, it says, do it be examples, patterns, or models of Christian living to the flock and the congregation. So the idea here is care for and influence, but don't try to control people's choices. God himself does not try to control our choices. And a lot of times when you start talking about this, people think you're saying, well, you're saying God's not God. You know, he, he, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he can. And he decided not to deal with us that way. Could he control my choices? Sure. But he doesn't. It's not who he is. He doesn't even control, he doesn't even, he wants every person to be saved, every person on the planet to be saved, and he doesn't force us to do it. He sends his church out to share the good news with people, and then he allows every single person the choice, all right, to come to him or not. And so 
Uh, literally, this phrasing in this verse says, do not become a controlling tyrant. Do not become a controlling tyrant. Minister to people. If, as soon as you move into being it, trying to be controlling, trying to be manipulative, trying to influence people that way, man, you're, a, you're opening a door for the devil into that because that's how he is. He wants to control. He wants to dominate. It's his nature, not God's. And so when we try and force people, remember when uh, the disciples did that and they said, oh, these people are over here doing this. Should we, you know, should we burn their city to the ground? You know, and, and Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. That's not the spirit of God to do that. So here's how that works a lot of times. We do that in prayer for one thing. People pray, God, make them do this or that. That's just a fruit. Don't waste your breath. Really. I mean, don't waste your time and your frustration on that. Because then you start wondering, why didn't God make him do that? Because he doesn't do that. It's not his nature. He won't do it. He's not going to make them. He's not going to force them. He'll give them every opportunity. And that's where I want my prayers to go, is creating opportunity for them and sending laborers across their path and, and influencing their hearts to revelation so that they can choose to repent and turn around and go a different way. But, and, I, and I'm not saying I've, I've never done this, but I have discovered throughout my lifetime it is an absolute waste of time and energy to try to pray to control people. Honestly, it's witchcraft is what it is. But it's, you know, even coming back from that, it's just a waste. Just, just you'll drive yourself nuts trying to force people to do things. I've had, I've had people sit in my office and, and talk to me and, and tell me they were all upset about something that was going on in somebody else's life and marriage in the church. And and this person sat there and said, well, you're the pastor. You need to make them stop that. You need to make them straighten that out and do that right. And, and I mean, this person was very serious about this. They believed that that was my role and that I somehow had that level of influence and authority in somebody's life in the first place. But they didn't even get that that's totally out of character with the way God does things. But I mean, this person was upset and, and very strong about it. you have to, this is, and the thing was that person believed that they were supposed to be a pastor. And I thought, boy, buddy, I wouldn't go to your church for a minute. If you ever end up as a pastor, I pity those poor people. Cause we, we went just for a few weeks to a church like that years and years ago where you were forced to do this and forced to do that. And we, we didn't do it. And they got really upset with us. But we weren't trying to be rebellious. It was just like, this isn't God. So, I mean, that's out there, that idea. And especially, I think the place we see it the most is in, is in prayer. And we just have to be careful with that. God wants to give people, he empowers our good choices with grace. He's, he's right there to empower our choices, but he's not going to force us. And so it's also fruitless to say, God, make me do this. Break me. Make me do this right. It just doesn't work that way. Just give yourself to him. Just keep putting whatever that is before them, before him. Give that thing to him. So we want to use our words and our influence and all of that and, and to create opportunity, to keep leading people, to keep feeding people, to keep drawing them into better and good choices. And then God will flood right in. As soon as there's an act of the will, God 
will flood right into that thing. And so Peter finally comes along here and he says, then when the chief shepherd is revealed, you will, the Amplified says, win a conqueror's crown of glory. You'll win a conqueror's crown of glory. So it's like as we build these things, and what do I have on your screen? Humility and identity-based living, servant-hearted living, live for other people's good, care for and influence, but don't try to control people. As we build these qualities into our life, it's developing a situation where when Jesus returns, we, we are, we're in a position to enter into his victory. We're in a position to, again, overcome and have victory over the attacks of the devil that he's going to talk about in verse 8. Is this making sense to you? So just in this little bit of this passage, he just gives us a number of these things. Boy, we just have a couple of minutes left. Let me just give you this next point, and then we'll come back uh, in a couple of weeks and talk about humility. I've got, I really want us to talk about humility, staying away from arrogance, learning how to honor people, learning how to walk that way because it's very counter-cultural uh, for us right now. And so I think it's important that we take a close look at it together. But here, we looked at these verses uh, a few weeks ago and touched on them. Let me just go back to this. Peter, this is where he begins to expand everything that he's been saying. In the New International, it says it this way. It says, young men, that term men is not in the original language at all. The, it, it's saying young ones, all right? Um, young men in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, see what he did there? Elders, young ones, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And here's why. Because God opposes, that word means he sets himself in battle array against. Yuck. That's a fight you're not going to win. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. And I just want you to notice this because we're not going to get to study it today. It says, clothe yourselves with humility. Not God make me humble. It says, humble yourselves. Not God make me humble. Humility is something we give. Humility is something we choose. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So, just very quickly, this term, younger ones. I just wanted to hit this again. Again, we talked about it a few weeks ago a little bit. This idea... This term young refers to the fervent or frantic activity of youth. The fervent or frantic activity of youth. Okay? And, and so it's, about, it's an attitude, not an age. All right? It can and is used to refer to age. Okay? One person being older than the other. It is refer, it's used to refer to spiritual maturity. Somebody who's younger in the Lord, you know, doesn't have as much revelation or, or experience as somebody who's farther along in the Lord. It's, it's used for that. It's, it's one who is lacking the spiritual insight that comes with a gift or an office. When, when we step into a gift or an office, God's anointing comes on that. And, and, and there's a, there many times are just things we know, we sense, we understand, we know how to do whatever because that comes with the gift or office. The young one doesn't have that. And so Peter's coming along and saying, look, where, at any place where you're less mature than somebody else, submit yourself willingly. 
Yield yourself. Set yourself in a position to receive from them. Set yourself in a position. Don't take the highest seat. Don't overestimate yourself. Just, just look at what God's doing in other people and, and receive from that. Okay, so it's, it's an attitude. It's, it's not just an age. Okay, and so here's what happens is a lot of times it's, it's this fervent or frantic activity of youth. And that can get on us no matter what our age is. To where, and here's, here's how it plays out, is when we're young, in age, we, we see things we want to change, and we're in a hurry. We want them to change now. We don't want to wait. We don't, this needs to change. This needs to happen now. It's this fervent, this has just got to change. And we don't usually, because we lack maturity, stop to think about why is that system or that rule or that method, why is that there in the first place? Was there any good to it? I just want it to change. I, I just, I'm fervent about it. I just want it to change. It needs to change. It needs to change now. Our whole society has become this spirit. It has become, if, ever, if it's more than, if it was yesterday, I mean, come on. You know, if it's not on Twitter today, I don't want anything to do with it. That was yesterday. We're moving on, you know. And so we're becoming shallow. We're becoming weak. We're becoming, because we're losing all connection with what has been established. And so he's, this is the idea that's in this when he, he talks to young People. It doesn't just mean young in age. You can have this attitude at any uh, place. And, and I remember, and maybe some of you do, that, that annoying, irritating time in life, somewhere in my late 20s, early 30s for me, hopefully some of you got there sooner, where I started to one by one realize that my mom was right. <laughs> she had been right all along. And I just, I remember this clearly. I mean, I'm not just kidding. I, I remember going through things and, oh, dang it. She was right about that too. That doesn't work in life. And this does, you know, which says something about my mom and dad, but uh, in, a, in a good way, you know, but I was forced to admit how many things that, oh, that's why they lived that way. That's why they did that. That's why they told me that. So what goes along with that, the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, it says, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Okay, and, and what it's saying is, before you move, a boundary stone, a boundary stone. It's, it's there to indicate what? A boundary. It's there because somebody thought it was worth putting it up there. Somebody had that idea. We can see honor in this verse. It's saying, wait, before I just go and say, let's rip that baby out of there. Before we do that, we say, wait a minute. Why did my forefathers put that in? Maybe there was some wisdom there. Maybe they had a reason for putting that there. And so it doesn't mean a boundary stone should never, ever be moved, but it means we need to really think about it. And again, this applies to our whole society throwing out the boundaries of God's word, the systems of God's word, the truths of God's word, and just saying, oh, we don't want anything to do with any of that. And life doesn't work and doesn't work and doesn't work. And we just keep ripping things up. There's this saying that I hear different preachers attribute to some other preacher. It's probably been around for about 100 years, but they just attribute it to whoever they heard it from. It says, anytime you think about tearing down a fence, it's godly wisdom to first find out why that fence was put in. Okay, Our, 
our culture is in the process of just abandoning long long held moral and social norms that made societies work and they're just abandoning just ripping them out and this is honestly this is what peter's addressing just in that phrase young ones submit to your, he's saying build some honor into your life and realize maybe somebody that lived before you knew something that you don't know. Maybe somebody who's been in Christ for three or four years when you just got born again knows something that you don't know. Maybe somebody who's in an office and God has placed them there and there are things flowing through there even though I might not, I might not even like the person, okay? But there's a pretty good chance God's pouring some things through that office that I didn't know and that I need. It's this whole idea of building honor into your life. It keeps us and you have to humble yourself to do that you have to humble yourself and humility always puts you in the position to receive something from somebody it and that's you know what it tells us humble yourself under the mighty hand of god okay and at the right time well how long is it going to be i mean i've humbled myself under god's hand and and i haven't been lifted up yet how long is it going to be I'm quitting with this. He's gonna, he will lift you up at the point where what he's lifting you to won't kill you. Where you're mature enough to handle the next thing he's lifting you into, then he'll lift you. But as long as lifting you into that position is still going to kill you, still going to wipe you out, you're not ready to handle whatever that greater thing and responsibility is, he's not going to lift you up. So just keep putting yourself below him. Trust him. Just trust him. Okay, does this make sense to you? Let's just stand up and pray. Thank you, Lord. First of all, Father, I'm just so grateful for the instruction and the wisdom on life that's in your word. There are so many hidden gems in your word. Your word is rich. It is full. And I know, Lord, when we just read it without the benefit of your Holy Spirit, a lot of times, you know, we just kind of pass over things. But I thank you that you have sent your spirit to reveal, to open up, to to take things out of the shadows and present them to us. And this morning, Father, especially over these two ideas of humility and honor that we're just scratching the surface on, I just pray, Father, show us individually in our lives, Lord, uh, where, where would you have us? What would you have us? honor? What would you have us set ourselves before and under? What would you have us, Lord, submit our lives to? Certainly you and your word, but Lord, as you move in us and around us and through other people, Lord, show us those places that you are, those specific avenues that you are desiring to train us and grow us through right now so that we can yield to those. Help us to be people, Lord, that honor those that came before, that honor the principles of your word, that honor things that have been established, Lord. And and I do, I ask you, Father, we want to know why is such and such a good way to live and something else not a good way to live? Give us that wisdom so that we can share it with other people. But Lord, I just pray as we go out into this community that we go out as a people who shelter others and we go out as a people who serve others and love others. Father, I pray that in any area where we have become domineering, where we have become controlling, where we have tried to force the issue with people, Lord, that you would show us instead how to become servants in that space. Father, and I thank you for that. And I believe, Father, that in that your influence just grows and flows. 
Uh, thank you so much for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be dismissed. And man, I happen to know there is a lot of good stuff out there this week. So be sure and wipe it out before I get out there. Uh, and then if you, yeah, if you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here for a little while to pray for people. We love you. Go out and have a great week. Be the church. Loose the kingdom. Yeah, be at remedy first. Then go out and do all that. Okay. Let's say it on the count of three. Yeah, six o'clock. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.